Welcome to podcast number 133 of my favorite detective stories. Today's date is July 27th, 2021, and I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Our guest this week is Mark Edward Langley. Mark is a returning guest. He tells us that when he was nine years old, he moved to the south suburb of Chicago, where he lived until 18 when his father was transferred to Houston, Texas. Mark took a job with B. Dalton Booksellers and began his love for reading. Mark has always felt a kinship with the American Southwest. When he was young, his parents took him on a vacation out west, where his heart and soul were touched by the beauty of the landscape and the wonder of its people. When he was older, he began reading Robert B. Parker, Mickey Spillane, John D. MacDonald, Ernest Hemingway, Tony Hillerman, and more recently, Craig Johnson of the Longmire fame. But it was when he took a two-week trip into the west of his youth in his 30s that he realized he had found his true home. Researching his debut novel, Path of the Dead, he drove from Albuquerque, New Mexico to Glacier National Park, Montana, traveling through the beautiful and iconic scenery that was to become the book's majestic backdrop. Upon revisiting New Mexico doing research for his second novel, Death Waits in the Dark, he had a wonderful opportunity to meet with some of the Navajo people and to have an open and respectful conversation. Langley is the award-winning author of the Arthur Nakay mystery series, with Death Waits in the Dark, winning both as a finalist in the American Book Fest Awards 2020 and winning the coveted Feathered Quill Award for Best Mystery of 2021. His third novel in the series, When Silent Screams, will be released in August of 2021. He is currently writing his fourth novel in the series, Broken Glass, due out August 2022. Glad to have my friend Mark Edward Langley back on the show. Welcome to My Favorite Detective Stories. My Favorite Detective Stories features crime fiction writers who discuss their latest books and what makes their fictional detectives tick. Throughout my investigative career spanning five decades, I cannot think of a time that I didn't have a good crime novel on my coffee table or bedstand. We will also talk about their favorite authors as well. On alternating weeks, we are introducing a new podcast, How to Rocket Your PI Business, featuring successful private investigators. They offer insights into their careers and advice for those just starting out or for those who are struggling. We will learn from the best. And of course, we cannot finish the show without asking them to share a few of their favorite detective stories and sage marketing tips. As a working investigator, coach, and writer, I hope to bring you inspiration, information, and entertainment in the areas that interest me most. Gather around my campfire as I invite you to listen in. This episode is brought to you by my own FBI agent, Marsha O'Shea, series prequel novella, Liberty City Nights. Miami's most wanted drug dealer is on the run, always one step ahead of the cops. Young, newly married FBI agent Marsha O'Shea, working with the Fugitive Task Force, has figured out how to draw him out of hiding. Will she get killed in the final showdown? For my listeners, this is free. Go to my website, www.johnhoda.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com and click on the link. It will be delivered to your inbox immediately. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the show. 
Hey, John. Glad to be back. So let me ask you, this is a good time to have you back. You have a new book coming out soon, but let's pick it up where we left off. Uh, last time we uh, talked was, I, I believe, uh, we talked August of last year, but it, it aired a little bit later. And we were, I think we were talking about your first book. Uh, the first book, Path of the Dead, that we've mentioned that. And when we, got, we were talking about Death Waits in the Dark, book two, in the Arthur Nakai series at that time, yeah. So you've had the opportunity to win a couple of awards or be a finalist. Tell me about that process and how that worked. That was wild. I, you know, you, you submit things there for several things and see what happens. Publishers submit your stuff, you know. All of a sudden, I was working on my computer one night. Alarm went off for the uh, the email there, and uh, American Book Awards sent in that I had been a award-winning finalist in the multicultural category because of all the Native American people and so forth in the books, that I won the award for that as a finalist. And that was amazing at that point. And then a few months later, I get another email from from the Feathered Quill that I actually won the award for 2021 for Best Mystery and Suspense of the Feathered Quill Awards. So you got a little bit of a bump because of it. Yeah, yeah, sales sales perked up, you know, a bit there, but I, I like the fact that you know you're being recognized because it just it blew me out of my chair when I got the email. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> it's actually happening. You know, this is crazy. You know, but it's nice to get them. The more people that I I read with reviews and ratings of my books on Amazon and so forth, what I get email wise personally and on my Facebook and other social media, what they say is really nice, and like I like the the people. That means more to me that they get back to me on those than the awards sometimes. The awards are great. I'd love to have as many as I can get, you know. But the reader, when the reader tells you that they love your books and they would rank Arthur Nakai right up there with, you know, C.J. Box's, you know, character and, and Longmire, you know, from Craig Johnson, it just blows you away. Sure. And, I, you know, I think ultimately that is the, the ultimate reward. And I'm not going to stand on my soapbox too long here. In the old days, you know, getting an agent to, to represent you was, oh, important. And then, oh, you get a publisher, and that became important. And somehow those two gatekeepers were the uh, the people that, you know, like knighted you as being an author. And, and I'm not going to take away anything from that because there's good agents and there's good publishers, traditional publishers. But I would have to say that I, like you, feel that when I'm looking at the reviews on my books and I see heartfelt responses from the readers, that is the, the validation that I don't think I crave, nor do I seek, but it does make my writing worthwhile, that I am connecting with readers and that I'm making something that's uh, entertaining for them to read, you know? Does that make exactly, sense? Yeah, it yeah. does. Yeah. And I said, you know, I don't, I've never been one to crave attention on a lot of things. But when you read somebody, you have ups and downs, and they're, they're, everybody gives them different ratings, you know. But the majority, I've been lucky enough that the majority of my ratings for both books and, and reviews are five-star. Then there's four stars, and it goes on down from there. But when people tell you they've either been to the areas you're writing about, they love that area out there, and it feels like they're there with the descriptions I have in the books, it brings them right back to where they have already been, and they love it. Hmm. And that's so, that's so good. I know just the other day, I'm, I'm going to not toot my own horn, but I'm going to give it as an example. It was a reader that said, just finished your third book in the series. Can't wait for the fourth. 
what I did with that was I took that, I cut and pasted that, <laughs> I put that into a <laughs> note, and I printed it out, and I put it here on my workstation, because I have a few of those reviews on my workstation. That one, hey, when life is handing me a uh, an unpleasant sandwich, to, to, to change the phrase around, I have those to look at, and they keep me moving forward, and keep me wanting to write, and keep wanting to entertain the readers. I know that we write, Mark, because there's things that we want to say, but there's all, we also write because we want to entertain. And I think you know the chance that you've had with your first two novels, you're getting that kind of feedback and you're getting uh, validation for your writing. And, it, and, and if some of that validation comes through an award where you're put up against other writers in the same categories, that's wonderful too. I mean, it, it doesn't hurt to have that kind of social proof. I mean, when I see in my Amazon feed, I see a, um, a New York Times bestseller or Edgar Award winning or, you know, one of those type of things. I get an idea that, oh, and also when I see like there's a gazillion reviews, I get a sense that, you know, somebody has already uh, kicked this author's tires and, you know, they like what they, they're reading and maybe I should take a, a look at it too. So that kind of social proof doesn't hurt at all either. So... So we didn't really talk much about the story of book uh, two before. So if you could just tell me a little bit about it without giving away the plot, and then we can talk about book three that's going to come out soon, right? Yeah, it's going to come out uh, August uh, 31st uh, with that. And I think Path of the Dead was the one, the first book that actually introduced the characters of Arthur and Sharon Nakai and all the people that populate their world out there. Gets them, gets them to know the couple as a couple. Uh, the trials and tribulations they've had in the past, trying to get through those in the present, and then subsequently being put to the test when Sharon gets kidnapped by a serial killer in there, and Arthur has to track them down from the Four Corners region to the mountains of Montana, where they have a showdown up there. Wow. And then along with that is sprinkled in there bits of Arthur's past, being in the Shadow Wolves for Border Patrol in Arizona, and then being in the Marines for 10 years. That really... The second book, I really wanted to focus on some of that more because I've had several of my buddies from high school that, that joined the military right after high school, you know, back in the 70s and, and went off and did their respective duties. And, and some made it back and some didn't, you know. But I wanted to kind of reflect a bit with that. And I wanted to bring a little bit, I don't want to beat it to death, but the PTSD issue that they all suffer from. But with that, it's different than a lot of things, you know. But I didn't want to do an information dump on things, but I wanted to give people certain aspects that may help them understand what the deal is with that and why it's such a, a thing to, to deal with for them. And then the third book. Well, just uh, before you get to the third. Oh, sure. If I recall the first book, doesn't it start out uh, with a, a funeral of one of his fellow Marine buddies? Yeah. That was the opening of uh, of Death Waits in the Dark. Yeah. yeah. He's, there were 12, 12 men in his team. And it's been, you know, 12, 15 years since they were out. And six of them, six of them have, have passed away at their own hand over the time. And he was the most recent one. And that's where you got to deal with his inward thoughts sitting there in the chapel, uh, thinking about the past and things and meeting up with the rest of the guys that were still there that always showed up at everyone else's funeral, you know, and, and kind of have that camaraderie. So you, you know, the, they say band of brothers, and it actually is is most incredibly true, you know, because it's uh, it, it, your life depends on that person next to you, and that's what they are. And and going back to where he has to uh, track down the serial killer from Four Corners, which is down 
Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, and I can't remember the port. Utah. Utah. All the way up to Montana. That's a heck of a ride. And for him to have his tracking skills there, you know he has to be pretty smart at that, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, a lot of that mentioned in the book, a lot of that is like gut instinct where the years of doing that in the military and then the 12 years after that in the um, Border Patrol, there is a, it's a wealth of information to draw from and how they would do a lot of things. And it really relies on Arthur's gut instinct and what he knows over the, the, the decades of doing that. What the most opportune way somebody would go to get somewhere and stay off the main roads and this and that and so forth, you know. So it kind of worked out really good to, to highlight a bit his tracking skills, how he uses those. And then in the second book, same thing with his acuity of noticing things and, and you know, subtle changes in the ground or whatever uh, have, well, this looks different than this and tells the the, the the weight maybe in shoe size of somebody, you know, and then tracks it back and finds certain clues left behind that weren't not known left behind, you know. So a lot of different things happen in book two, especially one thing where I found what to use with Jake Billigody and his Navajo Police Department there that I decided to have one of the people that works with him there, one of the officers, actually kept saying, I can do this, I can do this, you know. And then I found out a way where you could actually, you know, pull a fingerprint from something using a different a different method, and it actually works. Okay. <laughs> so people who may think this is a bunch of malarkey, it's not going to work, you know, it does work. I, I saw it work myself. It does. It does work, which is amazing, you know. Um, so it's, it's, it's cool to try to learn new things because as a writer, you're always learning new things. You don't know everything there is in the world, you know, and the amount of research I'm sure you and I both do on these, it takes a lot of precedence in forming the story. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, we've done a nice job of setting the foundation for Arthur and for Jake and their love, hate, buddy relationship. Tell tell us a little bit about book three, which is going to be coming out soon, but let's not spoil No spoilers. <laughs> okay, I'll try not to do that. Book three is called When Silence Screams, and I began working on that when I read about the missing and murdered indigenous women of 2016, because back in 2016, in the reservations in the U.S. and Canada, you know, everybody hears about it on the news. I have, as one character says in my book, when a, when a white girl goes missing from a golf course, everybody hears about it on the news. But this, nobody did. In 2016 alone, 5,712 went missing. That's and incredible. It is. It's, it's astounding, you know. And I read that, and it's a number. But first, it's, it's, it's crazy that it's that many girls and women that went missing with that. And then I delved into the uh, the website for MMIW and looked at that, and they had actually the flyers of all these girls on there. And it put a name, an age, you know, a fate to every number that there was. And it got to me so much, I thought, you know, this isn't being talked about, it isn't being brought up out there. And you know, not that I'm trying to make any great strides or whatever, but if I created a fictional story of a fictional 19-year-old girl that goes missing, I can perhaps maybe enlighten people to the fact that this is happening across the U.S. and Canada and around the world, too, as far as that goes. But it's something I wanted to write about 
And like Hemingway said, take a fictional person and put it into a real situation, you know. So I wanted to I wanted to kind of work that in there and and formulate a story that people would care about. Now, you mentioned an abbreviation or an acronym, MMIW. Yeah, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. Wow. How's that for a website? Jeez. Yeah. 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 And it's a it's a shame that it has to have it has to have that that uh, clarity in its description because it nails it nails it really that this is what it is and then the numbers are just mind boggling absolutely mind boggling and you know in in one of my books I threaten an FBI agent with having to be sent to a an Indian reservation out in Montana but. Geez, you know, it's just the idea that they have to go and go from the uh, the big city out to, you know, the country and, you know, making it sound like it's, you know, they'll watch, you know, they'll watch paint dry on the side of barns. <laughs> but in reality, my God, the that that could be very well a, uh, a very serious post for an FBI agent to have to try to figure out all these murdered and missing indigenous women. Oh, my God. It's like it's, it goes beyond the, the realm of of credibility in, in terms of the fact that it is so un, underreported. And yet, like you said, if it was a, a white girl from a golf course in a you know suburban neighborhood, the Amber Alerts would be going crazy. The police departments would have people at uh, uh, roadside exits. You know, it would be, it would be almost like a manhunt. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So for real. And then the fact that you make this girl 19 makes her of age that she has will she can do this on her own. She's not under it and has maybe the wherewithal to be missing because she wants to be, as opposed to maybe a, a 13, 12 year old who could, you know, more likely would be snatched. I mean, I, I think that they have, to, I think you're going with that. If I'm not mistaken, that like that 19 year old is, makes her of age to make her own decisions. Yeah, because she, she definitely has to try to figure out, you know, ways to get out and so forth and escape with all that. Because she, but she's still, Typically, that that teenager uh, that I see most every day that's always on their phone, you know, it, it it's never out of their hands, never away from their body somewhere, always on the phone. And the more I delved into what happens to these girls and how the different modes they get drawn into things is they're always in a chat room somewhere or they meet somebody who's a, supposed to be their picture on profile on, on a social media, you know, and they get involved with talking to them, this and that. And the person always gets more information from them than they give them. So they always think it is. And she gets rooked into leaving her family in, in Santa Fe while they're down there doing a Native American jewelry uh, show down there, craft show. And goes off to meet this person who's never seen again. There you go. That that's a good that's a good place to leave it right there. And then Arthur gets involved because he's a newly minted private investigator. There you go. Now you know that now that you write about a a, a true private investigator, you can join the Private Eye Writers Association. I don't know if you knew that. No, I did not. Oh yeah, the Private Eye Writers Association. Oh, let me give you some information on that while I have you there. And I can tell our listeners that if you, if you are, a, or if you write about PIs, and that is people that are employed as private eyes, not amateur sleuths, not, you know, Mary McGuffin. It's, there's an organization called the Private Eye Writers Association, and it's P, and let's see, membership 
correspondence could go right to Laughlin, Nevada. Do you have a pencil handy? Got a man. All right. Membership correspondence. Christine Matthews. C-H-R-I-S? Yes, C-H-R-I-S. Christine Matthews. 3665 South Needles Highway. Like a needle? Highway, but plural. Needles Highway. Apartment 7G as in George. Laughlin, Nevada. And it's 89029. All right. Tell them your good friend John Hoda sent you. You can maybe uh, you can get into the into the magazine. You know, it's a it's a minimal cost to join the the membership. It's very inexpensive, but boy, it's a great uh, membership. We also meet at the BauschaCon conference every year with a side meeting where we have our own awards, which are called the Seamus Awards. And they do uh, best novel, best debut, best short story, best, 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 you know, several bests. And I had a chance a few years back to be a judge for the Seamus on short stories, which was a blast. And I got to read 50 different writers' short stories. And I was there when one was presented the, uh, the award that time when we were in Dallas. But yeah, it's the Private Eye Writers Association of, of really nice stuff. And you get to also let let everybody know when your next book is coming out, when your next book is coming out. So that way people can, in your genre, see that you have this book coming out and you can do that. So yeah, I just thought I'd mention that to you. So how has the writing process been? I mean, you know, we talked about book one, you know, you were getting ready for book two. So how's it been going with your journey? Amazing. Trying sometimes. Sometimes you get to the point, I'm sure you hit that writer's block uh, mode, you know, and you just got to walk away for a bit and like go work in the yard or do something, you know, yep. to get uh, your mind clear and open and so forth to do some landscaping, you know, whatever it may be, you know, but then you come back to it, you know. I've already started, researched and started book four, so I'm, I'm into doing that and um, toying with the idea of starting a new series. Oh, okay. Well, you're toying with it, Let's, but we'll just keep that off to the side for a second. Your first two books were published. Uh, your, your agent found a, a willing publisher. And you were published, but now book three, you're self you're self publishing. Am I right? All right, and that's uh, and how how you how are you finding that process? May I ask? Actually, the more I delve into that, you know, the the way it's set up is fairly simple and straightforward. But um, you, you find out quickly that oh, it sounds so easy, but you have to learn so many different things to be a part of that and, and get the manuscript formatted correctly and so forth and i think it took about eight hours last saturday to go through it and using my books before as a guide i ended up formatting the entire novel for upload based on that and it came out superb my agent's like it's amazed i even i even did that because he had no idea you know but, and, and you, uh, didn't, you didn't use vellum no wow that is amazing. I never heard of it. <laughs> oh, I wish you would have, we would have talked. Vellum is the, the savior. That and Scrivener are the saviors for independent or self-published authors. You can take a Word doc and for minimal cost, a yearly membership to Vellum, you can then do your formatting. But you did your own formatting. Uh, kudos to you. But now you have 
vellum for the next one. So just keep that in mind. I wrote that down. V E L L U M. Yeah, vellum. They make it so that you can. They hit all the formats. They hit EPUB. They hit Mobi. Although Mobi is phasing out now with Amazon, and uh, EPUB generic and print as well. So when you just when you get ready to to publish to either Amazon or to Ingram Spark for softcover, they they format the interior of the book as well. Now understand that with your um, exterior on your print that you need to have a back blurb. And and you need to know what your page count's going to be because otherwise you get into a little bit of funky stuff with the spine where you're trying to plug in a, a certain uh, width and but yet the page uh, but you don't have the page count right so it won't work so you have to make sure that your page count is exactly right but when you do that when you do go through say vellum you will get an exact number on your page count yeah same with same with Amazon there I got that and I was I was lucky enough that. Um, I got a graphic designer that knew the books in the series, you know, and decided to, because I was asking them, you know, what what might this font be and this kind of thing, you know, so forth. And, and she was like, well, you know, I could do it for you. Wow. And I'm like, really? Okay. You know, there you for go. a fee, of course, you know, yeah. but still, but, but she's one of the greatest. I mean, she's, she's got this thing down perfect. She's working on the audio cover now for, for Blackstone. That's so I give it to them to, uh, to use that, you know. But the cover's already done. I got three blurbs on the back. Because I, I noticed that a lot of times when a third book comes out for someone, they don't use, you know, new blurbs and so forth. It's like, well, praise for Mark Edward Langley or whatever, you know. And I have the three blurbs from Craig Johnson, Ann Hillerman, and William Kent Kruger on the back of that that they did for the first uh, two books, you know. And that's going to work for that. I just got an amazing quote from James Wade down in Texas on the third book, and it just blew me away what he said. <laughs> That's great, Mark. And you work it. You know, it's not like you don't work it. You have a nice email newsletter, and that is something, if you don't mind telling our listeners how they can get your your newsletter. I read it I read it cover to cover every time I, I get it from you. So go ahead. Well, glad to hear that. Yeah, it's on the, my website is uh, markedwardlangley.com. It's one word, markedwardlangley.com. And you can go on there. And click where it says uh, members only. That will get you into that. You put your email address in there, and that will get you signed up to receive those uh, emails uh, on the monthly or more basis uh, when they're ready. Yeah, that's it's also a nice, clean website, by the way. I have to mention that you have a really nice website. Oh, thank you. Did you build that yourself? I did. And recently, before the beginning of this year, I sat down and I looked at a lot of things uh, with that, and I wanted to make it a little more user-friendly and more navigatable for anybody to go on there and do it quickly and find what they need instead of scrolling through acres of stuff. And uh, I reformatted it to look like that, and it's uh, doing very well. Yeah, I mean, and the idea of what your website was in the beginning was met one requirement. Then, after some time and reflection and then your own growth, it now has to, it has to serve a different function, and it, has to, and it has to look differently than the first one. So... I'm not saying I don't know what the first one looks like. I don't, but I do know the second one looks like you know, you understand that you're a uh, a author and a bookseller, <laughs> and that this is these are the things that it has to do. That you have to once you get the people on the website, they want to be attracted to the graphics, they want to be attracted to the story, they want to be brought in to what you're doing, and hopefully they'll want to engage in buying the books that will take them on a journey. 
And that's, I guess, what the whole idea behind it is. So, you know, it doesn't sound like you're you're afraid of technology. You know, you, you formatted your own third book. You, you redid your own website. I mean, the only other piece now left is to have a cogent marketing plan that you have to work. I mean, that's, and, and you have to work it. And that's the only thing about it. And we can talk about that more offline if you'd like. But realistically, whether you're self-pub or small press pub, you still have to do the majority of your own marketing. And I think that that's something that realistically, there's no, there wasn't a lot out there. Five years ago, self-pub people were finding their way in the dark. Ten years ago, it was like Death Valley, you know, searching for a, a, a <laughs> bottle of water. But, right. but five years ago, it was a little bit more like, okay, there are people doing it. Who's doing it? And now what I think is the best practices have arrived for independent publishing. And guess who's starting to catch up to that? Traditional publishers. They're seeing how the independents are getting uh, number one rankings in Amazon, uh, you know, million, million page reads in Kindle Unlimited. And they're seeing how they're doing it. And they're saying, well, those methods are completely foreign to us and they're different than anything we've ever done. But maybe we should learn from this. And now they're just slowly starting to come around. I'm starting to see more traditionally published authors now being published or being advertised alongside of the uh, independents that I'm familiar with, the self-pubs that I'm familiar with. Oh, yeah. So, But anyway, yeah, it sounds like, you know, you're, you're making the transition nicely. You're continuing to write. Uh, you're uh, making things happen. You're doing all the things that you should be doing. I got to tell you, you know, uh, the covers look good. The, the last cover you just did for this third book that you have out, that is really a nice cover, I have to admit. It really looks Thank good. You. It looks genre specific. It looks like it, you know, belongs. And I think that your graphic artist should get kudos for that because it, it really is a nice, it's a nice, nice thing. So, so where are you at now? What's going on now? Well, I, I had a conversation with my publicist yesterday morning, and we talked over uh, a marketing plan and, you know, a campaign for that. So we're going to get together again next week and work on that some more. I've got, you know, podcasts and radio interviews already scheduled up in the future for this. So I'm hoping to do more of those. I've actually, did, this time I, I contacted, I read some newspaper articles in New Mexico out there, and I, I contacted the authors of those articles for their arts and entertainment sections in Santa Fe and Albuquerque and so forth, and, and they are willing and open to having me send them a copy of the book, and they'll do a piece on it, you know, and, and put it in the paper out there so a lot more people know about it, which I'm very grateful for. I love that aspect of getting somebody to, to look at it and then think it's, you know, a good thing to do. I, I phrased it well, that what it was about and so forth and the other books in the, in the series. So that's going to happen. A lot more things we'll discuss with her and get things going more. Newspaper Newspapers caught up with it last time. She did a, a release about the awards for the second book, and uh, that happened really good there. I was glad to have that uh, extra boost on that. And uh, a lot of people will say in my, in my hometown here saw that and said, wow, didn't know you did that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but you know, it's it's. I try to focus more on the stories about the personal stories of Arthur and his wife and getting through their their problems. And they they I focus on like the everyday person who anybody who reads it can equate to the troubles they're going through and the funny things that happens to them and so forth. You know, so there is that. And I think the the third book because at the end of the book book two. Arthur was had been convinced to 
uh, go to a psychologist or psychiatrist for counseling with his wife uh, on that. And then the third book, because of this case, he can't do that. So Sharon is questioning, you know, his commitment to the couple's therapy to work through their past and so forth. That kind of adds a little more personal dynamic to the whole uh, the whole novel versus just being trying to track something down, you know? You know, and, and I, I don't disagree with that, and I'm not going to disagree with it because I see some other authors doing that, and they do it very, very well. Maybe it's a, I still have to evolve in my own writing to that point. I tend to be more of the guy that's interested in the police procedural, dropping the clues, you know, working the case and all that, you know, lovey-dovey stuff. What, what, is, what does that have to do with, you know, catching the bad guy, you know? And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a hard ass in my writing. It's just that maybe for me, talking about the clues, the case, you know, how the detective or how the investigator goes about that work, to me, seems to be more of my interest. But, and maybe that's the kind of writer's up. That I, readers I used to read, I mean, the fictional characters I used to like, Harry Bosch, Matt Scott, Tess Monahan. But I'm starting to realize that readers, other than hard-boiled detectives like myself, they actually like to hear about the person behind the badge or the person behind the gun or the person behind the magnifying glass. And they want to know about what's going on in that person's life and why and how that how their personal life also impacts on their case and how the case impacts on their life. Does that make sense, what I just said? Exactly, yeah. I mean, that, that's one of the things that I get a lot from the readers that are, that are reading my books, that they, they enjoy the mystery, they enjoy the story of it, but they love the characters. They fell in love with the characters from the first book. They love them even more in the second book. I'm sure they're really going to uh, grow more in their fondness uh, of them in the third book. And every, every time, I don't overdo it. I don't overladen things and make it all, you know, as sweet as silk or whatever, you know. But there's, there's, you know, little things you say, little jokes you have between the two of them, you know, a little banter uh, between their on things and things get brought up, you know, that maybe she's questioning this or he's questioning that and she catches them. And it's not, it's little things I throw in that people love that happen in my personal life, too, with my own wife, you know. And it doesn't seem like much, but it's one of the things that the readers are saying they enjoy so much about them because they get so invested in them. Yeah. I, I think that in your, in, in your situation, you're, you're actually expanding off of the, the typical whodunit. And you're moving into a more well-rounded character, one that has conflict, both interpersonal as well as personal. And that does have an impact on their story uh, going forward. And the readers identify with that. If that do, I, do I say that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, they all, you know, they, they like the fact that they can equate and see them. I don't want anybody to look and see, well, they're just Native American characters. I want them to be able to understand a bit of the history, the culture, and then equate themselves in certain situations that they may have been in themselves, and they could understand where that's going uh, with certain things in the book. I don't delve too much into a lot of depth of things, but I put things on there and, and scrape the surface on a lot of things. But it does, I think I got more uh, in the second book there, the, the, the tragedy at the end, we'll say, you know, showed Arthur's you know, depth of, of character in that I think when, when that happened to him there. But the third book is going to be 
I think something people are really going to enjoy. They're going to learn some things. Like I said, I don't put a lot of things out there. I, you know, I, I put show, I show several different aspects of the same thing, and the reader can make up their own mind on what they want to think or believe or whatever. But I don't, you know, charge this way is the only way kind of a thing. You know? No, I get but, it. No, I, I see what you're saying, and I think for me, I could say that maybe I'm still a little uh, unsure of myself in terms of wanting to go into those deep layers of emotions. And maybe the conflict in interpersonal relationships outside of the case. Maybe I feel more comfortable. Maybe I feel more wanting to stick to what I know, which is the police procedural, you know, the, the chase, and less into areas that maybe I'm not as uh, f- feeling as, as comfortable with. So for me, I think it's a, a, what I need to do is more introspection into the character and to see how they can be more, how their conflict moving forward is, can be enhanced by their own interpersonal relationships. Does that make sense, what I just said? Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I learned, I think, uh, I had a question from somebody a long time ago, that, that how did I learn to do whatever? And I think I didn't have any major courses in writing and so forth. You know, I tried college at one point for, for that, but I think I learned by reading. I read, you know, Robert B. Parker for Spencer, sure. I read Mickey Spillane, you know, I read... Uh, you know, John D. McDonald. I, I learn from all these people different things. And I think that's where I get the relationship between Arthur and Sharon so much as being a part of it is from, from Parker and, and Spencer and, and, and Spencer, you know, and, and, and his, uh, his girlfriend there. You know, I, 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 I loved that aspect of it. It made it more personal. It made it, I, I was attracted to that as far as the story too, you know. But I like having that in this. And then, of course, you know, when someone I when I read about the, the missing and murdered, I, I found out about that. And I want to say one thing, too, is that I have let them know, and it's in the forward of the book there, that I will be donating a portion of the sales to this to MMIW. When I get those down the road and see what it is, I will be donating a portion of that to that foundation. Because everything, every dollar they earn doesn't get used up just for them. Everything they have, you know, it, it, it goes toward clothing, it goes toward food, it goes toward funeral expenses when they find someone who's been missing. If someone is out of state or whatever, it goes toward the expenses to bringing them back, the remains back home to having them buried on sacred ground. I mean, so it goes to a lot of things like that. And I felt that people can donate or not if they want to, but I, the link's on my website as well. I wanted to, I felt so strongly in this book that I wanted to donate a portion of the proceedings, you know, to that charity. Excellent. That's wonderful to hear. Now, uh, we're at that stage in the in the uh, podcast when, but there was one thing I wanted to get to before we got to the end. And you were hinting at another series. Is it in the developmental stage? Have, have you have any concepts on it? Yeah. Where, where are you going with that, Mark? It is. I sat down and I kind of wondered, and my agent was more prodding me on this as well, that to do a second series, a different series, it is still going to be set in New Mexico, but it's a different type of thing. And I looked at all the uh, characters out there, and I wasn't going to do you know, anything that resembled any of those, or Joe Pickett or, or Walt Longmire or whatever, but I wanted to not write anything like those. So I, I looked, and I, I did a search on a certain character out there, and I wanted to develop something that hadn't been done. 
And so I wanted to make a, a character that was different than a lot of those. I found one that I'm going to use that hasn't been used before. Then I started delving into a background of what they would have and so forth. And I, I contacted the deputy director of this organization and spoke with him, you know, sent several emails and then spoke with him on a Zoom call about that. Got a lot of insight from him. They sent me a lot of case files that were closed depicting what I was talking about. So I can kind of work several of those into one one story, you know. As a matter of fact, I'm waiting right now for book four in the Arthur Nakai series. I'm waiting to get some closed case files back from uh, the Santa Fe and Albuquerque and Navajo Police Department so I can kind of link up things in progression, how I want them to go and then end up where it needs to be. But they helped out a lot, both of them, you know, all those and, and the, the one I talked to the deputy director. And uh, I've got a lot of information to go through, a lot of things, <laughs> files to look at. And one thing I discovered really well with the files I've seen so far is that you not only get an insight of how things go on and what happens, but you, you get to see procedure. Yes. And it's it's nice to be able to look and be able to follow a procedure of how the either the county sheriff or the person I'm talking about thinks and what he does, how he acts, the course of his investigation. You get to follow all that. So it gives you a deeper insight into what they do and how they do it. So I'm going to use a lot of that for the new the new character and the characters that I thought of for the fourth book. Oh, great. Well, that's good. But you're excited about writing another series? You're going to do four yep. books with uh, Arthur Nakay, or maybe more, we hope. And oh, Nakai, yeah. Nakai, excuse me, Nakai, and maybe more. And and you're going to take a shot at a new series. So so tell me, what, what's it? How can people get in touch with you, Mark? And how can they get this next book? Because this is this this episode's going to. End. I'm looking at it right now. Hold on, July 27th. We're recording this today, June the fourth uh, of 2021. And so when this comes out in late July, people will be able to maybe pre-order. So which book, just give us the name of the title again for the third. The Arthur Nakai uh, book three is called When Silence Screams. And um, the publication date on that is set for August 31st, hoping to begin pre-orders by, by July 1st to get that going with that. You can find information about me and, and the novels on uh, markedwardlangley.com, my website. Through that, you can get to Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, the pages I have on that. And as I mentioned before, you can also get to the link for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. And uh, there's also a group I have on there that accepts donations in the wintertime, especially, and summertime, too, for water, I think. But they go around on the reservation, and in the wintertime, they will carry truckloads and trailer loads of firewood to the people that don't live in a town. They're out in the, in the boonies, still, we'll say, you know, and they do a great job at doing that. And one of the guys I know, Bobby, does a really good job of that and, and handles that very well. And I'm sure I think they probably deliver water in the, in the summertime as well to people that don't have any water because a lot of those places out there where people live still have no electricity, no water, no sanitation, whatever. So whatever they can do for the elderly and the the elder people they have, uh, they, they do that out there with that. And those links are on there as well as I think a couple of links to Wounded Warriors and, and some PTSD foundations on the site as well. Wow, that's a lot. MarkEdwardLangley.com. 
And you're going to have a pre-order starting in July for your third book. That's wonderful. I'm, I'm so happy that you've come on. Mark, thank you again. I appreciate your time. Thank you for listening. I hope that I've earned your interest and your time. Please leave any comments on the website, www.johnhoda.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Our guest next week is Chris Salgado. Chris is an accomplished and trained security and investigations leader, skilled in more than 19 years of innovation, mentorship, as well as process implementation and refinement with diverse organizations. He's created his own company, All Points Investigations, after working as a global investigator uh, with Facebook. And prior to that, uh, he was affiliated with Pinkerton and had years of experience uh, doing SIU and brand protection investigation. This was a great interview. I really appreciate it. Uh, You can tell that he's an expert and, and he has something very unique he's going to be talking about, and that's Ogoso. And I'm not going to uh, spoil the surprise for you. Look forward to our interview with Chris next week. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's conversation and would like to hear about other great detective writers and their books, please go to our website, johnhoda.com, and click on our podcast page. While you're there, make sure to sign up for the email list to get John's new novella, Liberty City Nights, for free. Check out the show notes for links to all of John's publications, ways to connect with today's guest, and more. If you were either informed, inspired, or entertained by the conversation today, don't be bashful. Share this link with your friends or leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. It's the best way to grow the circle around our campfire. We appreciate your support, and we'll see you next time.